Hi, my name is Brendan Malone and you're listening to The Dispatches, the podcast that strives to cut through all the noise in order to challenge the popular narratives of the day with some good old-fashioned contrarian thinking. You might not always agree, but at least you'll be taking a deeper look at the world around you. Hi everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Dispatches. Before I jump into today's topic of conversation, I want to clear up a couple of things in response to my previous episodes and feedback I've had from different people. Thanks for the feedback, by the way. I love it. Keep it coming. Before I get into that, though, if you're not already a subscriber to the podcast, whatever platform you're listening on right now, why not hit that little subscribe button, wherever it happens to be right now in front of you, and uh, that way you'll keep updated about all the episodes that we've got coming each week. There's sort of usually uh, two or three of these every week, plus... There's a special weekly episode just for our patron supporters. So if you want to get an extra four or five episodes of The Dispatches every month, then all you have to do is support Left Foot Media at patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia. The link is in the show notes for this episode. And if you support us on a $5 a month or more tier, so $5 a month, which is about a cup of coffee or more each month, then you will get access to those extra four or five episodes. So, you know, probably pretty good value for money, isn't it? Well, some might say, no, it's terrible. (laughs) This guy's atrocious. Uh, Yes, so here we are. Um, Before I jump into today's topic, which is, and again, I have to say this, I promise you, I promise you, this is not a COVID podcast. I know that this has been the sort of the the topic topic of conversation of late because it's just, we're just so flooded with it. You know, it's it's a big pressing social question. So it's natural we're going to talk a lot more about it. But I promise you next week, I will do my best to ensure that we actually start hitting some of these non-COVID topics. There's lots of interesting non-COVID topics that that uh, we need to talk about, well, that I'd like to talk about and, and make a point of conversation. So next week, <laughs> please, please, please bear with me. Uh, so yeah, that's my special pleading right there. Uh, but before I um, jump into today's topic of conversation, which is really the second part of my previous episode where I talked about the morality and the harms of forced vaccinations, and I promised in that episode that I wanted this time just to look at an interview that was done and was published with uh, a, a Catholic theologian on this particular question of vaccine mandates. And I just thought it was so good and it really sort of added to what I was saying previously and I thought it was worthy of us having a look at and sort of digesting in this episode. Before I do that, though, uh, a couple of quick things to to clean up, if you like. Uh, on my previous episode, someone said, well, you know, who's, who's being forced to have a vaccine? Uh, and the suggestion was, well, the state, certainly in New Zealand anyway, is not mandating vaccines. Well, it actually is for some people, uh, you know, in certain professions, the the government has mandated vaccinations. Uh, There is no general uh, forced vaccination vaccination edict, though, across the whole of New Zealand. Uh, But that's missing the point, I think. The point is not that the forced vaccination edict has to come from the state. It doesn't. This is one of the big assumptions and big mistakes I think people make today about a lot of issues. You know, I think... um, Societies are a lot more complex, and certainly today, and if you like, uh, political enforcement is a lot more complex than people make it out to be. They assume that just because the government is not the one enforcing a particular policy, that somehow, it, you know, it, that people are still free to and, and are unshackled from that. You know, just because it's a corporation or a whole lot of corporations who are forcing people to do a particular thing, somehow that that's better or you're more freer in your society, you know, as long as the state doesn't do it, we're safe. I'd say that that, that is a failure to actually understand the complexity, particularly of modern societal structures and the way in which technology and and, uh, economics and everything else, that sort of interplay between those various forces that are always at work in our lives, they actually unfold and happen. And so the point is not... It's a bad thing if the state does it, but if your employer does it, it's all fine. No, the, the point is the ethics and the morality of forced vaccinations, regardless of who is doing it. Uh, and secondly, the, the, the idea that, well, there's no forced vaccinations because, you know, if you don't want to get vaccinated, you can just quit your job. I mean, to me, that is just so disconnected from the reality of ordinary life. The simple fact is that if someone says to you, you must do this thing, so have a vaccine, or you will lose your job, your ability to make uh, you know, a, a living, to feed your family, and gainful employment will be lost to you. And by the looks of it, 
uh, the way this is shaping up in some places, it's just you know, you, it's not like you can go from one place to another. A lot of places are going to be playing this particular game of forced vaccinations. And so to say, well, a person has a free choice, they don't. Unless that person has the wealth to sustain losing their job and possibly not gaining another one for at least quite some time until things have calmed down a bit, then there's no choice there. I mean, what person is going to say, oh, well, I'll, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, let's take the risk and see if uh, how I go not paying my mortgage, and let's see how I go with you know not feeding my kids. Let's see how that works out. No one. It's just there are very few people who could actually endure that kind of proposition. That, that that's not a choice. That that's a Clayton's choice. You know, do this thing, or an extremely bad ha- thing will happen to you if you don't do this thing. You know, but don't worry, you can go somewhere else if you don't like it. And, and the assumption is they can just go somewhere else. And that may not always be the case. Um, one other thing, too, is it's a very a lovely um, and very balanced and fair piece of correspondence. There was some disagreement, and, and I'm totally fine. I love that. Uh, it was a very good conversation with a friend of mine, a longstanding friend of mine, and she sent me a very um, a lengthy piece of commentary privately. And uh, by the way, you know who you are. If you're listening, you know who you are. Uh, I love that it was great. No need to apologize for the length of the, the conversation. Um, and I just wanted in response to her, I just wanted to clarify a point because it it seems it may have, uh, come across, I may not have communicated as effectively as I could have, and it may have come across sounding like I was saying that everyone who gets the vaccine is doing it because they're afraid. And that is not at all what I meant to communicate. And that is not at all what I believe. So let me be very, very clear about that. I do not believe. I've got friends and family who are all over the map on this question of vaccine choice. Literally all over the map. In fact, I I spent the better part of today with a good friend of mine, a really good friend of mine, who has been already been vaccinated and you know done the thing. It's just it's just not a this just for me there's not a big deal there. It's not an issue. And one thing I have noticed is that the concern around vaccination choice generally is only coming certainly what I've seen from one side, and that's from people who are pro-vaccine who are looking to critique the decisions of those who have not been vaccinated yet. It doesn't seem to be, certainly not as much, going back the other way. Now, there are some exemptions to that rule, obviously, you know, but they don't seem to be in the majority. But one thing I do want to make clear is I don't believe that everyone who goes and gets a vaccine is doing it out of fear. When I talk about the current climate of fear, what I mean is that general climate of fear that's present in our society right now, and often in very subtle but powerful ways, that's having a huge impact, but it's not simply on individual choices. It's also shaping the general sort of social milieu that people find themselves in. It's, it's, It's shaping public policy, it's shaping political desperation, all sorts of things. And so, and when I talk about fear too, I I don't just mean fear of COVID. I mean, that's a fear for sure. But I think like if you're in the political realm, I think there's a fear of losing control. I think for other people in the political realm, there is a fear of not being re-elected, that they will lose voter share. That's a very real and constant and ever-present fear for modern politicians, especially those who are used to being able to sort of create a, a very slick and cleverly marketed campaign as their method of being elected. Well, you can't really do that in the midst of a crisis. You've got to have some substance, some, re- uh, some real backbone, some, some meat and potatoes, you know, to go with that nice, glossy-looking piece of pudding. And uh, this is, well, I'm not even sure where this bit of analogy is going, but you get the point, right? There's got to be substance. And so, yeah, when I talk about fear, that's what I mean. When it comes to vaccine choice, I think there's probably, I mean, there could be more, but I think there's probably four main groups of people. There are people who I know, and in fact, I know people, who have looked at looked into this issue, have read various bits of information they can get their hands on, have weighed it all up, thought about the current climate, the current situation, and then they've made a decision to get vaccinated. There's another group of people, in fact, I've heard from one or two of these people, who uh, are getting vaccinated out of a sense of obligation. In fact, I had some commentary sent to me from someone who got themselves vaccinated, and they said to me they wouldn't have done it 
otherwise, but the reason that they did it was because they felt that they had a sense of obligation to the well-being of New Zealand society and to other people. But if it wasn't for that, and the current situation was different, they said they wouldn't have got this vaccine, which is fascinating. So, you know, I've heard from people in that boat. There are people, I think, who absolutely are afraid. They're afraid of what COVID could do to them or someone else, and so they have got themselves vaccinated. And then there's another big group of people who are probably just acting very much um, along with the same lines as whatever the sort of the general group um, approach to this has been. You know, people around them are getting it done. Well, I'll just go and get it done myself. They're not really looking into it. They're not asking too many questions. They're just sort of generally, um, you know, trusting of those in authority and that everything's all good. And they're just sort of going along with it. There's no you know, sort of they don't think too much about it sort of either way. So, I mean, I might have missed other groups, but I think there's, I don't think for a second that every person who gets vaccinated is afraid and that's why they're getting vaccinated. So when you hear me talking about the climate of fear and in relation to anything at all in this, I'm just talking about how that is a very dangerous situation that is driving so much of the policy. Like, I think that fear is driving, uh, you know, a, a, we're in a war footing. We really are. We're effectively right now, we're in a war footing. And a war footing is not a healthy place to be. If you look at human history, whenever you have a war footing in a state of ongoing sustained crisis like this, this is where ethics and morality and good sound moral judgment is sacrificed on the altar of political and utilitarian expediency. And I'm saying to you, as someone who I know some people are going to be frustrated by this because they want me just to go with the utilitarian and political expediency, or maybe not the political, but the utilitarian expediency in the hope of trying to achieve the good outcome. I'm saying that my conscience doesn't allow me to do that because that is not a consistent way to live a good moral life. Yeah, it's hard, and I find it really hard. I tell you right now, I've got people who previously were, I would say, were good we're really good mates with, you know, you know, people who I was on really good terms with, who have now, who have come at me with various challenges and attacks. Uh, and, and I'm not going to apologize for that because I firmly believe that this is, that the stance I'm taking right now, for me certainly is the, the, the good and proper stance to take. It is to not to simply push aside those pangs of, what I believe for me to be a well-formed conscience, and I don't mean about COVID in general, I, I mean just about moral law and about morality and moral philosophy. And, and, and I've got lots of little, <laughs> lots of my little moral radar, moral principle radars are pinging off all over the place around this. As I said to someone the other day, you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist, and I am certainly not a conspiracy theorist. But there are things about what is happening right now that don't square away properly. And history would tell us that is because we are in a war footing, a crisis footing. And in times like that, the reason these things don't square away properly is because people are not actually squaring them away properly. And I'm not willing to just ignore that and to push that instinct aside and say, oh, no, I'm crazy. Instead, I am going to actually stop, observe, examine, ask questions and do my best to try and navigate these perilous waters, which all of us are in. If anyone is sitting there today thinking, no, I've got it figured out, Brendan, it's all good. I'm saying to you, then I don't think you understand the actual uh, ocean and the, and the storm that we find ourselves in right now. I really don't think, if you're saying that, I don't think, you, oh, it's no big deal, it's easy, it's all simple, straightforward, X, Y, and Z. No, it's not, it really isn't. And, and so for me in this perilous situation that we find ourselves in, I, I'm not willing to, to just cast all of that aside. To me, that is not how we should be acting right now. And I think at times like this, annoying, niggly people like me who perhaps sound like a stick in the mud, who perhaps, you know, sound like, oh gosh, I wish you'd just stop it. Th those annoying, niggly people can be really helpful. And I say that, that those people who are annoying, niggly people to me on the flip side of this issue, who challenge me, because I, I, am, I really don't want to make uh, bad decisions based on uh, untruths and lies. I want to try and strive for the truth and strive for the good. And so I'm doing my best in the midst of all of this. I navigate this and keep asking the questions 
to never ever fall into error or or you know be unwilling to correct myself when I might have I might find myself on the wrong course. I think we've all got to be like that. And yeah, but I'm not going to I'm not going to turn aside from from that. And I think this is what you need in those moments. You need people who are just those niggly little sticks in the mud uh, who who say, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. What are we doing here? What exactly are we doing here? Because there's certainly some big things here that don't quite seem to add up. And yeah, as I said, it's not about being conspiracy theorist. It, it, it's simply, I think, about an exercise of prudence that that really matters. And other people are going to look at this and they're going to come to come to, to different conclusions from me. That's fine. But I would encourage you, don't don't be resentful or hateful or angry at me simply because I'm looking at this issue and I'm seeing things that for me look like big red flags and that I want to... Uh, here's, here's what I said to my wife earlier today. I believe that regardless of what happens in the next couple of years with the pandemic and the vaccine strategy, uh, at the moment, everyone is sort of, well, we're all hoping that it works, right? We're hoping. But what we can't do at the moment is say for certain that it will. And I believe in future years, once this is all settled down, there will be probably books and papers written about this period and about what is happening right now. And I think one of the things that will be written about is the ethically questionable way certain things were carried out and decisions were made. We already know that so-called noble lies have been told by authorities for the sake of utilitarian and political expediency during this pandemic right from the start. So I think people are going to say, hold on, they're going to look back and they're going to say, okay, even if we get a really good, amazing outcome out of this whole uh, situation and the long-term data, or it all just it all calms down. It's all good, and we're sweet as sweet as we're right as rain. And it's the and it turns out this was spot on the perfect strategy, and it fixed the problem. And and you know, thank goodness, you know, lives were saved, which would be a great outcome. Because I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I, I'm not a contrarian for the sake of being contrarian. I don't have a dog in the fight, if you like. I've got an agenda here, and it's got to be satisfied. And so I must prove that this thing is wrong. No. No, I'm in, my my interest is the truth, and and its goodness, and 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 I think that's the only way to do that is to keep probing and being open to the truth and, and being open to being wrong. All of us have got to be. It doesn't matter what your qualification is or where you sit in the hierarchy of this issue. You got to be open to being wrong. If you're not, holy guacamole, yeah, that that's a dangerous place to be for all of us. And so I think even if this comes out and it comes out right as rain and it was just the perfect strategy, which as I said would be amazing. I think we will still have to admit that what happened here was unethical because we sped into a situation without a full and far horizon of exactly what the outcome would be. And I, I think that matters. And I, I'm not willing to push that aside and say, as a friend of mine was sort of saying to me recently, oh, well, it's just, it's just the situation we're in. I'm saying, well, no. This is the very point of morality. When you need it most is when you're in a state of crisis. That's when your moral principles really matter and you need them. It's, you don't, in, a, in a sense, you don't really need moral principles when everything is going fine and there is no, there is no pressure on you to act in different ways that you know, different, where different moral actions are required to be taken. It's, it's in the heat of this. It's in the crisis. It's in the, the war footing where this matters the most. Otherwise, you'd come out the other side of it and realize that either great injustice is perpetrated or extreme harms were done. Things were worse than they would have been if you had acted in a moral way. So, yeah, there you go. Sorry, I didn't. It's a bit of a tangent, isn't it? I didn't mean to uh, to to go on that little uh, <clears throat> side side preach there. But that that's yeah. Please bear with me. I know you disagree. I really, I'm, I'm, I can't say this enough. I, I'm really serious about the fact that I, disagreement's not a problem for me. It really isn't, and and my interest is genuinely is getting to the truth, you know, and and you know, finding the good. Yep. Right. Let's move on then. Okay. So this article uh, is called "Rome Theologian Discusses the Vaccine Mandate, Green Pass, and Conscience Exemption." So the Green Pass is a pass you need, vaccination pass. Uh, his name is Mauro Gag. Let me try that again. Mauro Gagliardi. 
and, and I'm hoping I pronounced that correctly. He's a Catholic priest and a professor of dogmatic theology. So let me start under the interview. Uh, this is the first question. What are your concerns about the way governments, institutions and businesses are trying to mandate vaccines? Here's his reply. The main concern is about the personal responsibility of every individual regarding the most personal dimensions of one's life, such as health care. If governments and other institutions impose an obligatory treatment, that's a sign that the person is not considered responsible. Remember I said this yesterday, or not yesterday, in the previous episode? It's about the respect for the dignity of a human person. National rulers, especially in a democracy, do not hold and thus cannot exercise any parental responsibility on citizens. Democratic rulers are, on the contrary, at the service of citizens, as their representatives. Governments should work to support, not to substitute, people's personal responsibility. In this case, governments should make the vaccines available, and they can even offer incentives for citizens who want to take them. But governments should not force people, directly or indirectly, to receive the jab. Rulers should work for the common good, in this case, public health. But the principle of subsidiarity... We talked about this on a previous episode, uh, the principle of that you respect autonomy where it should be respected. So, and, and you give authority to people to, to take responsibility at the most important place or the most, the, the place in the hierarchy where, where it is most appropriately exercised. And so, for example, parents, they are the ones who are invested with the responsibility and the authority to, to parent their children. The state doesn't take it off them and give it to some bureaucracy above them. Um, so yeah, the principle of subsidiarity cannot be denied. This always leaves room for a conscientious objection on the part of citizens. The EU, the European Union, Resolution 2361, adopted by the Parliamentary Assembly on January the 27th, 2021, so this is really recent, with respect to ensuring a high vaccine uptake and mandates, they said this, this is quoting the EU now, Ensure that citizens are informed that the vaccination is not mandatory and that no one is under political, social or other pressure to be vaccinated if they do not wish to do so. And, quoting again, ensure that no one is discriminated against for not having been vaccinated due to possible health risks or not wanting to be vaccinated. That is a very, very moral statement from the EU. And here's the interesting thing. I know people who are just staunchly anti-Brexit who are taking the exact opposite position now to the EU on the question of vaccinations. That, I mean, that's not really a big deal, but it's interesting. So that, that, that statement is so good. And I think it just, to me, it sums up so perfectly what moral governance looks like in this situation. So no compulsion and no, uh, no coercing people in other ways. You know, they're not under political, social or other pressure to be vaccinated. You know, as in you lose your job. Here's the next question from the interviewer. How does the authoritarianism we are witnessing with regards to the COVID vaccines, especially the widespread dogmatist approach to mandating vaccines for everyone, despite questions over their safety and ethical production, square with Catholic moral teaching? And here's his reply. Some speak of a moral obligation to take the vaccine. Pope Francis said in an interview that being vaccinated is an ethical duty. But when the pontiff approved and ordered the publication of the official CDF, that's Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, note that declares the use of COVID vaccines morally acceptable, he also approved the passage of that document that specified vaccination should not be mandatory. A principle of moral theology is that negative laws oblige always, while positive laws not in all cases. Now, remember I talked about this in the previous episode. This is a positive action as opposed to a prohibition. And this is what he's talking about here. There is no exception, for example, to thou shall not kill, as it is in the negative. But there are many exceptions to honour your parents. And this commandment applies to authorities of all kinds as well. Even if vaccination were really a moral obligation, it would certainly not be mandatory in the strict sense. Otherwise, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith could have not said, and it's that could have not said that it must remain non-obligatory. And I think that's a great way of just summing it up. You know, this is this yeah, this is really really important to understand. And I think the thing about prohibitions is that you find that prohibitions, generally speaking, apply 
in one of two situations. Prohibitions, which obviously must always be adhered to, will either apply perhaps at a, at a social setting when there is great harm. You know, you're prohibited from driving on the opposite side of the road because there's great harm and, and extreme danger that comes from that. Or, both and often, there there is also, or there can be, uh, without necessarily any um, immediate sort of physical harm, but uh, it's an intrinsic evil that where the prohibition, the thing that's being prohibited, uh, prohibited is an intrinsic evil. Um, okay, here uh, is the next question. You are referencing the 2020 note on the vaccines in which the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith states that vaccination is not, as a rule, a moral obligation and that, therefore, it must be voluntary. That's a quote from the document. It also states that those who, for reasons of conscience, refuse vaccines produced with cell lines from aborted fetuses must do their utmost to avoid contracting or spreading the virus using other means, especially among the most vulnerable. Why is this guidance not being heeded by some, including bishops in the United States, who argue that their priests should not aid in providing religious exemptions? So there's situations where, uh, it's thankfully in the minority, but some bishops have told their priests they are not allowed to give a letter even just outlining what the Catholic teaching would be. So if someone you know, was in a job where they're trying to force them and they said, well, I've got a religious exemption. A priest had been told, you're not even allowed to write a letter explaining what that religious exemption might be, um, which is, I think, is just absolutely shocking. Absolutely shocking. There's no other way to describe that. It's completely out of line. Um, but uh, so he, he's, he's asking him about this. Uh, he says this, there are also other interesting passages in the same document. In the first place, the CDF states, we do not intend to judge the safety and efficacy of these vaccines, although ethically relevant and necessary. So that's quote unquote. As appropriate for a magisterial text, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith speaks only about faith and morals, not about scientific evaluations, which in themselves do not form part of the proper object of the teaching authority of the Church. Even if such evaluations can be on occasions be of great help, to pronounce a moral judgment. A consequence is that the CDF has taught that the COVID vaccines may be taken, but the congregation has neither said that they work nor that they are safe. It has not said that, and it could not have said that. In other words, what he's saying is it's beyond their particular competency, the expertise. They're not scientists. They are here are uh, expounding moral theology. A second precision of the document is that it, quote-unquote, it is morally acceptable to receive COVID-19 vaccines that have used cell lines from aborted fetuses in their research and production process. But this, and then he's quoting again, when ethically irreproachable COVID-19 vaccines are not available. Thus, the congregation adds, and quoting again, both pharmaceutical companies and governmental health agencies are therefore encouraged to produce, approve, distribute, and offer ethically acceptable vaccines that do not create problems of conscience for either health care providers or the people to be vaccinated. It would therefore be important that the Church asked for and endorsed a prompt production of ethically acceptable vaccines, as the document calls them. The CDF speaks of vaccines that do not create problems of conscience. This way, the congregation, notwithstanding its moral prudential judgment on the issue, is acknowledging that it is legitimate to have doubts of conscience. I opine, this is him speaking, that such doubts can be addressed not only to the process of production of the vaccines, but also to their potential future outcomes and to the political, mediatic process, so media-related process, that aims at imposing them. And that's what—that's the point I said yesterday. I think this is—I I absolutely agree with this. And and, and I, I think it's also there's another one here, and that's the question of vaccine strategy and the morality of, of, of the particular way that you are using the vaccines. Are you using them in a safe way or a risky way? Um, one thing I will say though there, and, and this was in the question, was uh, that that the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith and the Catholic Church has talked about the importance of people. Uh, using other means to to actually, uh, you know, to, to avoid contracting or spreading the disease. And this is something that someone corresponded with me about yesterday. And I, and I want to make it clear that I think that that is a good, proper and moral thing to do. 
I'm not anti-mask. I'm not. Uh, I'm not anti-physical distancing. I think there are times when those rules are, if you like, made to be broken. A, a person who's in a state of crisis and who needs embrace, I'm not going to do an inhumane thing. A person who's dying and who needs the last rites, which can be administered safely by having a, a, a member of the clergy, a, a religious leader, come to their bedside and do that, give them final spiritual comfort before they pass from this life, I think that, that I actually think that's a human right. And I think it's repugnant that it has not been allowed to happen in our country, certainly in the uh, more extreme versions of the lockdown. And so I think there's moments like that where those rules, they have their limits. But but as an absolute general norm and, and just sort of everyday practice, I, I follow those norms because I do believe that uh, it really seems in particular social distancing is quite an effective tool, or sorry, social, physical distancing <laughs> is actually a really, really effective tool because mask use is sort of 50-50. I've talked about this on a previous episode where often most of us are not using the right type of mask and we're not using them properly. And so, you know, it, it's kind of doubtful how effective that is actually being. But um, I, so it seems that really the physical distancing is quite a helpful tool. You know, and following those kind of precautions and also, you know, I'm not going to just wander into a rest home and I'm not going to put other people around me at risk. So when I go to Sunday worship, for example, I don't do things that are risky and say, oh, well, it's all good. You know, I don't care if it rains or freezes as long as I got my plastic Jesus on the dashboard of my car. Great country and Western song. No, that's not the attitude here at all. And so I just want to clarify that. I think we do have a moral obligation. If you're vaccine hesitant, if you are vaccine opposed, uh, if you are free vax and not planning to get vaccinated, um, I think that this is a really important point that we do, that, that we, it's, it's, it's a, it is actually immoral to be gung-ho in your behaviours and to put other people at risk. I'm sorry. At the very least, you should operate with the precautionary principle, even if you think, oh, I don't think this is working. Or, oh, I think this is all about control. I would say to you, I would say to you, stop and consider and think that even the, even if that is the case, the precautionary principle would still apply here. The precautionary principle, moral uh, principle of morality, is that if there is evidence and indication that your a certain action could cause harm, then you should refrain from that action until you're absolutely certain that it's not going to cause harm. And so, if you're confused, you think, well, maybe because because there's no way you can prove that this is just all about control, and there is good evidence, so that, that this is preventing harm, keeping people safe. So the precautionary principle would demand that we actually conduct ourselves in this way if we want to be truly good and moral people in this situation. Uh, here we go. Uh, carry on with the interview. There, here's another question that he's asked. Given the CDF's instruction, would you say it is immoral for church leaders and institutions and also other organizations not to allow religious exemptions? And here's his reply. I don't think that this is a strictly religious matter. That vaccination should be freely chosen is not only a Christian moral stance, but a position that is demonstrable by way of natural ethics. And this is something I was talking about yesterday. There is no shortage of non-Christians and non-believers who are in favor of free vaccination, and they can argue their stance. However, like other matters such as contraception, abortion, and euthanasia, these are, strictly speaking, not only Christian values, but also human values. Nonetheless, religious exemptions are conceded to Catholics, and I'd argue other Christians as well, regarding these values. And so probably religious exemptions should also be conceded in this case. I am not sure that it is immoral not to concede them. So he's very cautious there. And good on him. This is, I love this. This is good, prudent approach to this question. But I would suggest bishops and Catholic institutions allow them. So here he is saying, uh, this is sort of something I said yesterday. In principle, I think you can make a moral case if all of those eight criteria I listed yesterday can be satisfied, then you can, I think, make a moral case for mandating vaccinations. But I don't think those eight criteria have been met in this situation. Next question. In the UK and in some other countries, the government is planning to, or going to, allow children over the age of 12 to receive the vaccine without parental consent. Is this immoral, given their age and the fact that young people are, are least likely to be affected by COVID and more at risk of rare but serious side effects? I guess he means from the vaccine. His reply is this, I am not a doctor or trained in medicine, but it is clear that these are not just vaccines in the classic sense of the word. Although the authorities insist that they are safe, no one knows for sure their effects in the medium and long term. And I think 
That's a, that's just such a good point in all of this. That's just so often lost. Neither the pharmaceutical companies that produce them nor the governments that, at least in certain cases, impose them. I am not saying that the vaccines will produce consequences. Hopefully not. This is also not to say that those who have chosen to be injected with the anti-COVID agent have made an error. I am saying that vaccines might produce consequences and this cannot be overlooked by those seeking to form their conscience in view of such an important decision. I don't have the truth in my pocket. I love that line. And, you know, that should be our motto, all of us, every single one of us. I don't have the truth in my pocket. The point, I'll carry on with this reply. The point is, should a person of good and formed conscience evaluate these aspects in order to make a decision? Some countries declare other vaccines obligatory for children, but those are classic vaccines which have been tested for decades and the illness they aim to prevent are life-threatening for children. Hence, such laws can be considered proportionate. In the case of the COVID vaccines, however, the two elements I just mentioned are missing. First, we don't know if these drugs are really safe in the intermediate and long term. And in brackets here, again, I'm not saying that they are not. We just don't know. Close brackets. Second, the COVID-related mortality rate for young people, especially children and teenagers, is practically zero. So why have them vaccinated? That's a really good question. Because the more and more I look at this, the more and more I think this is not a public health decision. Because there's such a high rate of infection and transmission that still happens um, with the vaccinated people that that's not even, it's not, you can't even argue that's, you know, like, you know, we're, we're stopping a transmission, we're creating a firewall by vaccination because we're not doing that either. Uh, I think there's a really, really good question. It seems it only really benefits a, a corporate's bottom line. And it doesn't seem to be driven by any clear, hard public health you know, data here that's backing this up. Third, the FDA has recently approved one, not all, of these vaccines, stating at the same time that this one, and he's quoting here, also continues to be available under emergency use authorization, EUA, including for individuals 12 through 15 years of age, end quote. This implies that one, all other countries have, for now, only an EUA for COVID vaccines. Certainly true here in New Zealand, what they call a provisional approval. Number two, one country alone has approved only one among the many vaccines. And three, even this one is still injected under EUA for teenagers 12 to 15 years of age. As a consequence, billions of people worldwide are being vaccinated with a drug that has received only an emergency use, use authorization. And in that sense can be considered experimental. And this is such an important point. And I don't know why people are just not willing to concede this. Well, I think I do know why. <laughs> That's a whole other story. But it, it's, yeah, you, you can't, you just can't escape these facts. And these facts matter when people are evaluating their vaccine decisions. Does this, does this not mean that we still need reflection and study and that it is prudent for a person to discern if, in his or her case, they should receive the jab? How can vaccines that are clearly still under scientific scrutiny be made mandatory? As soon as the FDA approved that one vaccine, an Italian virologist declared that now it should be made obligatory. But there is no reason to support such a stance. Not all approved drugs are supposed to be imposed on people. And the low death rate of COVID does not, so he's not saying it's not insignificant, but he's saying it's it's not off the charts high here either. So it's obviously, obviously it's, higher than other illnesses, but it's not, uh, you know, so serious as to, you know, it's not, not like MERS or other, other respiratory conditions that have much higher death rate. Uh, uh, not all approved drugs are supposed to be uh, imposed on people, and the low death rate of COVID does not justify such an imposition. We can be in favour of convincing people, not of forcing them. And I think that's a really important point. I'm in favour, all in favour, of people making a rational, a rational uh, a reasonable and, and, and clear case for vaccination and for efficacy and safety and all those other kinds of things. I think that's good. That's, that's a normal part of it. Uh, it's the imposition, the forcing that's the problem. Here's the next question. The Pope again spoke on August the 27th about the effectiveness of the vaccines and the need to distribute them to everyone, seemingly without exception. He's also spoken of an ethical duty to take them. 
Does his position undermine anyone who wishes to refuse the vaccine on religious or moral grounds? Is it wrong for a Catholic to disagree with him on this? Uh, good question. Uh, as a general rule, this is his reply, as a general rule, every Catholic pays the greatest respect to the Bishop of Rome by reason of his office. His magisterial teachings, even if not pro proposed in a definitive way, need to be heeded according to a religious reverence of intellect and will. The Church, however, teaches also that not all pronouncements have the same weight and binding on the and bind the faithful's assent at the same level. You know, I mean, the most obvious example would be if if, if the Pope got up one morning and declared that he thought that cornies were the best breakfast cereal of all and that everyone should be eating cornies. That is not, there is absolutely nothing binding anyone to, to immediately get rid of all their wheat bix and rice bubbles and, and whatever, cocoa puffs, whatever else they're eating and, and buy only cornies for breakfast. Okay, so, I mean, I know that's it, but that, that's sort of just to explain the, the point he's trying to make there. In an interview earlier this year, uh, Pope Francis had described being vaccinated as an ethical duty. More recently, he called it an act of love, which, in a sense, is even more compelling. But in another, is less obligatory, if compared to strict duty. So far, the Pope has never said that vaccines should be obligatory. In fact, as he's mentioned already, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, in that document, said that they must not be, uh, they must always be voluntary. In brief, given the low magisterial degree of the cited interventions, the object of the pronouncement, not directly related to a matter of faith and morals, and the need for more precision on what has been said, all Catholics will listen to the words of the Pope with the highest respect. Called to discern his words, they will seriously ponder them, but every Catholic can, can still decide not to receive the jab and do so in good conscience. And uh, we're just about finished here. He says, next question, do you think, as many do, that these vaccine mandates, the Green Pass in Italy and other forms of vaccine passports elsewhere, are a kind of health tyranny that could lead to further restrictions on personal freedom, but that many church leaders and an unsuspecting public in general haven't really woken up to this yet? A pretty pretty strong and um, sort of leading question there, but let, let's see what he says. Let me say, first of all, that I am not anti-vaxxer. I receive every year the anti-flu vaccine. So this is his reply now. And I think a debate between pro-vax and anti-vax, between the enlightened, quote-unquote, and the retrograde, quote-unquote, is simplistic. A better label, if one is needed, is that of free vax. And remember I talked about this yesterday. I think this is so spot on what he's saying here. I want to defend the possibility of making a free choice with a good informed conscience without being discriminated against because of it. Among the free vaxxers, there are also many persons who have been vaccinated or will be soon. And I know people who are in that very group. Well, that's me saying that. Therefore, it is not a question of a denialist or ideological position, nor is it a question of defending libertarianism, but rather freedom. Freedom founded on reason and on the possibility of an honest and responsible self-determination of persons on the basis of a correctly formed conscience. Human dignity, that's what it's about. Blind trust in authority, which itself is subject to the law, is a mistake. One cannot prudently offer total trust that suspends even the use of reason. It seems that even many intellectuals have forgotten the lessons of St. Augustine, not long ago re-proposed by Pope Benedict XVI, when he said this in another document, if justice, he's quoting Augustine here, if justice is removed, what are kingdoms but great thefts? We cannot simply assume that rulers and leaders always work for the common good. Many times they do, but errors, ideology and corruption do exist. Bingo. And I think that's the prudent course of action to take here. To never ever assume that those things are not at work. Not a few people are afraid that the imposition of the vaccination aims at legitimising new forms of political tyranny. As of now, it is hard to tell whether this is true. Other explanations remain possible. What can be said is that, if that were true, the present situation would be coherent with the hypothesis, with that hypothesis. The church, indeed any person of goodwill, without becoming a conspiracy theorist, is called to keep their mind and eyes open, wide open, sorry, and to use a capacity for critical thought according to reason. That's a good point. That's a very good balanced way of answering that question. Uh, and here's the final question he's asked here. Uh, 
Petro, or Petro, DiMarco. I'm terrible with these Italian names, aren't I? I should be better. My wife lived in Italy for a year. Got a degree in Italian translation. She has. <laughs> None of it rubbed off on me. Uh, I could do a bad Italian accent, but that's about it. Uh, Petro DiMarco, an Italian sociologist of religion at the University of Florence, recently criticised your position, saying that being a quote-unquote free vaxxer is not a legitimate stance and arguing that the vaccines aren't experimental. Would you like to respond to his critique? And by the way, I really love this. This is his final uh, response here, and I really love this response because uh, to me it speaks a lot to the character of this man. And, and, and for me it was quite an important yardstick in discerning the, sort of the reliability of this article and this interview. Here, here's what he said in reply. I respect Professor DeMarco, and I have liked many of his interventions in the past. I was surprised when he published a bitter column bashing those who refused to be vaccinated. I felt compelled to send a letter to Sandro Magista, who hosted DeMarco's article on his blog. Those who don't know Sandro DeMista is quite a, a long-standing, has had a long-standing blog that's widely read sort of in those church train-spotting sort of circles, theological and philosophical circles. Magista kindly published my letter, accompanying it with DeMarco's reply. At the beginning of his second text, DeMarco appreciates my quote-unquote reasoned remarks and seems to rectify the tone of his first intervention by writing that, and this is a quote here from DeMarco, we should always apologise for raising our voices too much. <laughs> it's such a beautifully Italian thing to, you know, to say. We should always apologise for raising our voices too much. I love that. The rest of his reply, however, seems in a sense to be even harsher than the first one. I decided not to publish a detailed answer to DeMarco's reply as I didn't want to raise the umpteenth polemics on COVID. It's, it's a great, that's good. You know, I don't, I, I don't want to bring any more heat to this fire. <laughs> so I will not answer his text point for point here either. I will only say that I'm struck by the fact that such an erudite and intelligent man holds such a radical position, supporting it in a very weak and dogmatist way, something you don't expect from a scholar of his level. Of course, I cannot know, know what lies in Professor DeMarco's heart, but the impression is that in this case, he exceptionally speaks not according to his enviable mind, but to a sense of fear that might have overcome him. This is not to say that we should play the brave hearts. I know that I, like anyone else, might get the virus and die tomorrow, and that, in that case, there might be haters on the internet who would feast on my fate, as we have seen happening too many times. This is a great point, by the way, because this COVID death porn drives me mad. And I see people who, on the one hand, are posting things about being Christian and people of faith, and about kindness, or if they're not Christians, they talk about the need for a kinder, more compassionate society. And then when COVID arrived, you started seeing this death porn posting that was being shared with glee. And my first thought was, I don't really care what a person's position on the vaccine was. If someone has died, you know, particularly in a situation like a, often you see a young father or a, a young mother who's died, that's one of the sort of the common, because if you like, it has a bit more, what would you call it? Uh, it has a certain um, salacious currency to it. You know, a much older person with comorbidities dies. You know, okay, that's sort of the natural process of life. But a, but a young person who's, you know, got kids and it's, it's a very salacious kind of thing. But it, it, I, that's a tragedy that someone has died. Their death is a tragedy. It's a moment we should, we can't necessarily mourn it intimately because we didn't know the person well that we've just read about in a newspaper. But we can certainly mourn the passing of another human being. We should mark it with a certain appropriate reverence and have a respect for their human dignity that doesn't turn them into some sort of stupid COVID death porn that you can gloat over. Just don't do it. No one should be doing this. No one should be gloating over anyone's death. We shouldn't be objectifying other persons in that way. Oh, let me carry on what he said. Even if that occurred, so he died of COVID, it wouldn't make me change my mind. The virus exists and sometimes is lethal. But original sin also exists. It affects not only theologians, but also politicians, church leaders, CEOs. We cannot blindly trust someone just because they are experts or in a position of leadership. 
As a consequence of original sin, mistakes and ideologies exist, and corruption too. A formed conscience remains the place in which every person of goodwill can and should hear the voice of God without denying the principle of authority to which we pay every due respect. But as the Catechism of the Catholic Church, quoting John Henry Newman, reminds, conscience is the aboriginal vicar of Christ. Uh, For those who don't know, Newman was very big. His writings are very important on conscience. Very, very important. And that's the end of the interview. And I, by the way, I, th- I hopefully understand why I've shared this with you. I think it was great. And, and that last point in particular is, is I think that we've, we've got to just accept the fact that all of us, our time will come. The Grim Reaper is not a capitalist. He's a communist. Everyone gets the same payout. And that day will come. And it might be COVID. It might be something else. It could be anything. The point is, I think he's trying to make here, is that we shouldn't sacrifice prudence and virtue and moral principles and throw the common good under the bus just because there is a virus, a viral pandemic happening around the globe right now. And there is great fear associated with it and also uh, great uh, um, a great and pressing desire to get back to normal, quote-unquote. You know, just get on with it. That, that in all of this, this, it's a tumultuous storm we find ourselves in. And the most prudent thing we can do in the midst of that is just to stop and still ourselves and be prudent. Stop. Consider. Whichever choice you make regarding the vaccine, the only thing I'd say, say to you is that I implore you to make it a prudent one. Stop and consider and then make your choice. And whatever you do, don't pass judgment on other people for their decisions. You guys are awesome. Thanks for tuning in. Another long episode. Not quite as long as the previous one, but gosh, who's getting up there? Don't forget, if you want extra access to those four or five exclusive Patreon-only podcasts every month, then if you support Left Foot Media with $5 or more per month, then you will get access to all of those extra episodes. A huge thank you to all of our patrons who made this episode of The Dispatch is possible. You guys are awesome. And I'm hoping to be able to let you know next week or the week after about the brand new Left Foot Media website. Exciting times ahead. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next time on The Dispatches. The Dispatches podcast is a production of Left Foot Media. If you enjoyed this show, then please help us to ensure that more of this great content keeps getting made by becoming a patron of our work at patreon.com forward slash left foot media link in the show notes thanks for listening see you next time on the dispatches